What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Lacrosse Bucket Podcast. Host, as always, Tanner Dimling. And it is fall ball season across the country. And especially in terms of NCAA lacrosse, we've already had two big weekends of fall ball. Another big one coming up that we'll preview uh, at the end of this show, but right now getting into a little fall ball action that has happened over the past couple of weeks, <clears throat> including this past weekend. So starting off with two weekends ago, we had Syracuse and Denver playing a big scrimmage there um, up in Cortland, New York. Also had multiple other big scrimmages as well. Harvard scrimmage the team Israel, or the, the Israel's first initial team in terms of tryouts for the European Championships in 2020. So we're getting to that one. Also, I was able to watch that one. Uh, but first off here, Syracuse and Denver. They tied at 15 in Cortland, New York, two Saturdays ago. Now, Tucker Dordovic back in the in the lineup for Syracuse after missing all of last season. He had two goals in the game for the Orange. Griffin Cook led the way for Syracuse with a hat trick. Brendan Curry, Jamie Trimboli, Owen Siebold, Chase Scanlon, the transfer from Loyola, sophomore transfer, wearing the number 22 at the attack position for Syracuse this year, also had two goals in the game. For Denver, T.K. Hammond had one goal. Johnny Morocco, Jackson Hanna each had one goal. Uh, Sam Dwindle had at least two goals, according to reports. Um, Again, the scrimmage was not streamed, but a lot of coverage coming out of it um, with Syracuse coming in with a new offensive coordinator. Uh, Denver, obviously, is always big with... uh, Coach Tooney there, Syracuse, a historic program. Uh, so two big-time matchups, two big-time programs going at it on the first big weekend of fall ball last weekend. And from everything I heard, it was a pretty even match. I know Denver got out to a 4-2 lead at the end of the first. Um, Syracuse scored first, and Denver kind of went on a run. Uh, some back-and-forth play there. Through the middle of the game, uh, ended in a tie, obviously. Uh, it was a 9-8 Denver lead at the half. Um, Syracuse went on a run to open up the second. They went on a run kind of in the second half there, and Denver came back to tie it. Um, in terms of, you know, play on the field. 
you know, a lot of it was kind of the third and fourth, uh, late in the third, you saw guys, uh, both teams starting to uh, taking those starters out and putting in their backup guys. And again, I'll link in the description the um, the article from Syracuse from Syracuse dot com and Syracuse Athletics that both cover um, this scrimmage and give a little more insight into what went on. But overall, um, from what I've heard and what I've what I've talked to people that were there, um, sounds like uh, both both squads have some pretty good offensive talent this year. We know Denver with Alex Stathkiss at that face-off dot. They're going to get a lot of possessions. Syracuse with Pat March coming in as the offensive coordinator. A little bit of a different offense maybe than some of those Syracuse guys are used to. Uh, but it um, it um, looks to be working as of right now. And uh, Syracuse... Obviously, he's always going to be Syracuse. Denver going to be Denver. Both teams had uh, quote-unquote down years last year. Uh, Denver missing the tournament. Syracuse getting knocked out in the first round for the second year in a row. First time in a while that's happened. Moving on to the headstrong event that was held at Hofstra last weekend. It missed Hofstra and Navy and Lehigh all descend upon Hempstead. Four day scrimmages there. Um, according to reports, Marist beat Navy 18-6. to Lehigh beat Marist 23-10. to And they also beat Hofstra 13-6. to Don't have any other... Uh, Na- Navy did play... See, Navy did play Hofstra as well as Marist... Only have that most score, so do not have what Navy did against Hofstra. Um, I'll run down some other scores here too. The other only other one we have from that first weekend is fifteen sixteen. Fifteen sixteen. Georgetown beats Rutgers, and that one's in in Saint Louis. Uh, but back to this headstrong event <clears throat> for for Marist, You know, this is an offense that I, I thought played very well. Last season, and especially late in the year, you saw guys step up. Uh, Jamison Embury and Jake Wienerman each had at least four goals in this game against um, Navy. And Navy, as you know, coming in with Joe Ampel as the head coach. Obviously, you know, four ball scores don't mean much, but if you allow 18 goals, that's definitely something that uh, you may want to address coming in the season. But, you know, it is uh, it's October, so... They have plenty of time to do that. Uh, Lehigh, apparently Tommy Schelling um, lit it up for the Mountain Hawks in their in, in both scrimmages, according to what I've heard. I heard he had five goals in the Marist game. Of course, they had 23 goals altogether. Heard he had a hat trick against Hofstra. Uh, but he, he's looking good. That that Lehigh uh, offense is, is you know, they return some guys. Andrew Patet comes back. Uh, he got a medical red show to believe after uh, I believe it was a knee injury that sidelined him uh, last season for most of the year. So him coming back and uh, you know, showing coming back and a lot of these other guys for the Mountain Hawks looking good. You know, do lose some defensive uh, guys on the defensive end, but 
uh, as as I'm going to mention a lot of times in here, it's October. They have plenty of time. And then the one game that I was able to watch, it was streamed on ESPN Plus, was the Harvard Israel scrimmage. Now Harvard <clears throat> coming in with head coach Jerry Byrne in his first season at the helm of the Crimson. And again, this is against a Team Israel team. So Harvard wins eleven to ten. Um, this is a team against. This is an Israel team that is not the full Israel national team. There were multiple guys that were either co- recent college grads or in college trying out for Team Israel uh, last weekend. The first session of tryouts um, as they scrimmaged Brown uh, Harvard on Friday, and then Brown on. I believe it was uh, Boston U on Saturday and Brown on Sunday. So three days of scrimmage against three great teams. Uh, so the 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 talent the age gap it, it was a little different because you did have some older guys um, on the college grads as I mentioned on that Israel sideline, um, but then you also had some guys that were um, in college as well. You also had couple younger guys too, so it, it was a kind of conglomerate team there for Team Israel. You also had a couple guys that played in the world indoors the, uh, earlier that week, still fresh, had fresh legs coming into it. Um, and then also Harvard did not play all of their guys. Um, they did have, I can't remember who it was, but they had one guy that was at USA U19 tryouts, which were Two weekends ago, so he was there. Uh, a couple, I believe, one or two freshmen that were at that, so they did not, and sophomores as well, that did not see the field in uh, this scrimmage. Or were not present at this scrimmage. <clears throat> there was an 11-10 win. Uh, junior attackman Charlie Olmert, who I was very impressed with, uh, had the game winner with 50 seconds left in the game for Harvard to beat Israel. Uh, <clears throat> Israel went on a late two-goal run there. And um, <clears throat> this uh, this Harvard team, you know, I, it, it, it's October, and I'm going to say that a lot here, but I, I, I was impressed with what I saw, um, especially on the offensive end. Um, the defense stayed consistent through the game. Uh, only allowing, only allowing. Uh, I mean, there was, I believe, the second quarter was the best. They only allowed two goals, um, in that second quarter. And the first quarter, it kind of took them a while to get going. Um, in the second, they stepped up a lot. As I said, had two goals. Um, Israel really started to go on a run there. And again, this is an Israel team that hasn't really played together, so also take that into factor uh, as well. Um. And Israel started to kind of pull, not pull away, but they started to, um, they were able to tie it up um, and come back heading, you know, into that second quarter, um, in that second half. Israel came back from a 10-8 deficit at the end of the third to tie it, so... If that tells you to tie it at 10 late in the game, if that tells you anything um, about the little comeback they had. But Harvard, the defense in 
everyone knows Jerry Bones, a defensive coach. What he did at Notre Dame was fantastic. This is a team that's going to take, and I don't know what his role in the defense is at Harvard. If he's on the defense, his defensive coordinator take it all, take it all, and he's in the offensive coordinator take all of that, and he's just kind of the, the head coach, um, or if he is involved in it to an extent. Um, and obviously, you know, you're involved in, in, in coaching both sides of the ball when you're head coach. So you're involved in both sides to an extent, but is he really coaching, coaching the defense? Um, what role does he have in it and what they do and everything? Um, and him being a very good defensive mind, I, I have to think that there is some, um, there is some of him that is coaching them like he's a DC um, while being a head coach as well, but, um, that, you know, the defense definitely was the weaker of the two sides of the ball for Harvard in this scrimmage. The offense, one thing you looked at Harvard last year, they had so much good, um, production out of their attack and never enough production out of the midfield. And that seemed to hurt them a lot because you would shut off X, shut off the attack, the entire attack, and they couldn't really do much. Um, they showed a lot of a lot of depth in this scrimmage and showed that they can work that midfield very, very well. Um Austin Madronic coming back for a sophomore season, uh, coming off a Mento Cup run with the Victoria Shamrocks. They fell short, however, against the Orangeville Northmen, but back in August, and he he, he looked fresh, he looked polished. Um, the the kid's amazing. Um, you know. They were kind of putting him at X and, and, and a little on the wings as well, working as a feeder and initiator from behind the cage and on the wings, uh, doing some uh, mere things, uh, set, they were getting picks set and having guys uh, dive from the midfield down into the middle, getting some inside looks there. Um, also, uh, Nick Willing, Nick Ryan Graff, Charlie Olmert, Isaiah Dawson all looked very well. Um, working that offense just, and not even the guys that scored, um, but just, just, just looked well. Um, Hayden Cheek I thought was very good as well. Um, Hayden Cheek, you know the uh, younger brother of Morgan Cheek, who was at Harvard a few years ago. Uh, Watson Cheek, the other brother, uh, I believe he's the the youngest of the two of the three. Um, they each had one goal. In this one, so the Cheek brothers looking good. Uh, but as I mentioned, Austin Madronic, definitely the best one here. Ryan Graff, I thought, also looked very, very good. Um, they used him at X as well as a passer. Um, and overall, like this, this, this Harvard offense just looked much, much better than they did in the. In, no, they looked like they worked better together. And, and still, like the systems and everything are still being put in, but they looked good.
the the ball movement was good. You know, they they had some they had some silly turnovers and and mental errors, and every team's gonna have that. They had that on the defensive side all night long. But when 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 they when that ball was humming and 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 they were doing what they were supposed to do, fantastic. Uh, Kyle Mullen, last year's starter, uh, played in limited minutes in in that, but obviously looked the best out of the guys. Um, they played. Senior Jacob Bo- uh, Bowley also uh, very energetic, swarming all over the field. Um, as a uh, as a deep hole out there for Harvard, I thought he was the best one uh, on that defensive side. Uh, besides Mullen, uh, winning his one on one one matchups, really communicating out there as well. Uh, so Harvard looking good, and as as I've mentioned before, I'm buying that Harvard stock. Um, I'm buying all of it. Uh, don't think they'll win the Ivy this year, but they they they're definitely on the right um, on the right path. <clears throat> Coming into this weekend, this past weekend, you had plenty of scrimmages: Maryland and Cornell. You had Penn State and Virginia. You had the Hedgestone Classic with. Uh, the Nick Khalili Classic, I believe is what it was, with Hopkins and um, Penn, a couple other teams as well. There, very good lacrosse being played across the country. <clears throat> you also had games I was able to watch. Some games being played north of the border. Hobart, Rutgers, and UMass went up to Upper Can- Upper Can- it was Upper Canada College. In Toronto, it's actually it's not a college. It's a um, it's a prep school up in Canada. Actually, I believe there was one or two guys for uh, Hobart and UMass that went to that uh, one of those two of those teams um, that went to that prep school for high school. So um, <clears throat> they streamed that online. Was able to see those games. Uh, by my count. I've seen some of the people that had some different counts, but only like one or two goals off here. Uh, by my count, UMass beat Rutgers nine. Uh, UMass and Rutgers. Rutgers beat UMass twenty to nine, and Rutgers beat Hobart fifteen to twelve, and UMass beat Hobart ten to eight. I'm not gonna get into you know, how these games went. Um, but more so what these teams looked like and what they did. Um, because, like, there were times when... So that first game, UMass and Rutgers. UMass got off to, like, I believe it was a 5-0 run. And, again, Rutgers. Not... They, they have trouble to face off that. And I, I know that was something that people said in the scrimmage against Georgetown two weeks ago, is they couldn't buy a face-off to save their life. Same thing here in both games. Um, so that that played into it. And then obviously in the second half, you saw more of the... Uh, ben, uh, some more guys that don't normally get in the game and, and some freshmen and things like that get in. Um, so, no, 20-9, to nine, it, 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 it was more like... It, it it was much closer than that, fifteen to twelve. Not too bad for Rutgers beating Hobart, but I, I believe Hobart did go on a on a pretty good run there, where they were up at least three goals at one point um, early on. 
Hobart and UMass, UMass, they started off with like a 6-0 run um, to start the game. It was like five six run, 5-6 goal run to start the game before Hobart got on the board. Uh, so really not, you know, good games to watch. And really, score doesn't matter, but <clears throat> what each team did does. So starting things off here with Hobart going in alphabetical order, obviously. Um, Stephen Brundage took over, take uh, took over as the statesman's offensive coordinator over the summer, and uh, their offense, like I gotta say, their offense uh, of the teams that of the team of the three teams here, I think Hobart really impressed me the most. In terms, but you know, we all like like Rutgers is in the Big Ten. I know they're a good team. UMass has been the cream of the crop in the CAA for the past few seasons. I know they're a good team. Hobart, no, they were very good last season. I know they're a good team. They're in the NEC, which is compared to the top of the CAA and the and the Big Ten as a whole is not as good as those conferences in terms of. Athleticism and Cowboy player. Now, there's some very, very good players in that conference, but just what they were able to do was very impressive, especially after losing uh, one, a couple of key players last year, uh, Chris Asselainian being one of them on that offense. Um, <clears throat> but Hobart, they played very, very well. The defense was effective, but they had some lapses that led to some bad play. Um, especially early on that UMass scrimmage after they had just played Rutgers. I think they were really tired because uh, they played back-to-back. Um, I think they were really tired, and they, they put their starters out there. And Even though their starters didn't play in that fourth against Rutgers, it was, you know, you just played a good 30 minutes, 30, 50 minutes of lacrosse. That's tough on the body. Um, so you had some things like that. But other than that, I thought they played very sound. Um on both ends, especially early in uh, both scrimmages. Um, one thing with Hobart is, you know, th- this this new offense offense they have is kind of um, everything is with a pairs set. So two uh, two man game on the sides, up top, behind the net, and uh, that that really worked. It, it it really worked, and if you really watched, they they stuck with these pairs with this pairs type set for most of the game and and to have the ball working around and and going that way in terms of um setting picks and and and, and things like that it was it it was good and and the ball movement worked like a charm on this one um again both against UMass and Rutgers and, and with that they were able to move the ball behind the net and on the wings and kind of uh mirror the opposite side and adjacent have a uh, have a guy cut adjacent uh, behind the defense and then get some good inside looks. Um, also, um, no, they 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 were I think the most attacking team um, here, meaning they were attacking the cage. You had a couple dives from behind the net. Um, it it was too far away. The camera was too far away to make out like if it was a good goal or not. Um, but I believe they did call. They called one of them in the crease. I don't know if they had the semicircle on the field since it was a Canadian 
this was up in Toronto. I don't know, and you couldn't really see that. Um, but they called one, and they allowed one as well. So um, saw some crease dives from behind the net. In terms of personnel, Eric Holden uh, looked very good. Um, looked poised to play another big role in the in the statesman's offense again this season. Uh, Finding back of the net multiple times there. Uh, really a, a key figure in leading on this offense. Uh, junior attackman Ryan Archer was also impressive. Jason Knox, sophomore attackman, was very impressive. Um, the midfield also did some very good things, and they 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 kind of um, they inverted some midfielders to attack, and they had some attacks play up as midfielders. So you did get that mix as well, and and things looked really well there. Um, the one guy on offense outside of those guys, I would say, is a uh, I, I believe I'm saying this right, Troy, uh, Troy both uh Barthmel, a freshman out of St. Paul's, Maryland. The kid is six foot seven. The kid is six foot seven. He towers over everybody out there. And like he was a great inside finisher at St. Paul's and, and, and he was a very good player. Like he's gonna be very effective on this offense. They played him at attack in midfield. Got a lot of minutes at attack. Oh, excuse me, at midfield. They also put him behind the net, put him on the crease as as kind of a big body that can that can stand in front of that crease and, and, and just get shots in. And like what well, he he was very good and, and even when he wasn't you know, I don't know I don't I don't recall how many goals he had, but even as not a scorer, he was setting picks and just using his his big body, his big frame to, to to help guys get open. And it was, you know, helping move the ball, set picks, get grade A scoring chances. And, and Troy Bartomeu was very good for Hobart. Very exciting player to watch and see how, how they use him this year. The defensive side, as I said, <laughs> they had their fair share of lapses. Uh... Letting UMass and Rutgers both get to the inside, particularly later on in the uh, in the scrimmage, but uh, Sam Lucius um, was the best guy on the defense in in in, in Cage. Um, he honestly saved them a lot of chances, or stopped a lot of chances, despite being left on an island. For a lot of both scrimmages. Um, Dan Ryan, LSM, uh, very impressed with him. Um, Very good off the ground, pushing transition. Uh, Was able to help be a lockdown defender as well, uh, stopping some of that, that, uh, the midfield production that we saw out of Rutgers and UMass and both of, uh, in, in that day as well. And this Hobart defense, they played better in tight than they did spread out. And at times when they'd get spread out, they'd start to try to push the offense out too much, and they'd get beat inside. So Hobart 
played well on offense. Defense could certainly use some work. Offense had had some lapses as well. Uh, faceoff dot. It, it was too far away. The camera was, and I couldn't make out the numbers of who was facing off. But Hobart, very very good day at the faceoff dot. Don't know what the numbers were, but very very good day at the faceoff dot for sure. <laughs> especially, especially against Rutgers. Now moving on to the Scarlet Knights here. They uh they kind of came out slow in both scrimmages, which um you know it it didn't affect them in the end as uh, they won both of them, which I mean you know, that, that does not matter, but you know they they uh they cleaned it up I should say <clears throat> as the game went on. I know they did have a couple guys that played in this scrimmage that didn't play in last week's scrimmage, so I don't know if that had an effect or anything, but. Uh, they did sl- start pretty slow, um, both both scrimmages. Um, mainly initiating from behind the cage at X and at the midfield. Uh, didn't see a lot of shots. Um, well, th- they got some set shots o- on the wings um, with passes coming from uh, behind the cage up top. Wasn't a lot of action on the wings in terms of uh, any two-man game or picks or anything, but... Um, very good, very good offense for this team. Adam Chalambides coming back as a redshirt junior. Uh, you know he had a good year last year after coming back from not one, but two ACL tears in the same amount of time, two years, uh, as many years. He was you no know, getting to the rack, being a thorn in the side of the opposing defense, doing what he usually does. Um, he was the clear number one on that offense in both scrimmages. Had multiple goals, helped move the ball well, and obviously drawing plenty of attention for the defense. Uh, Kieran Mullins. So he played well. He played well. He's a great player. From what I saw, he didn't stand out as much as some of the other guys did. But he... Uh, he certainly he did not play bad. He just, it wasn't like you usually see from Rutgers where, I, I know, again, it's fall, it's October. Kimmel, he didn't have like six goals or anything. Like, like I think people expect him to kind of just explode in games and even scrimmages now. Um, but, you know, he didn't do all that you know, good that we, we saw last year. But again, it's October. Um <clears throat> And they they had him playing X attack a little bit as well and on the wings too. So we'll see how he how how uh, how he does. But probably the most impressive player on the Scarlet Knights offense was Brennan Kamish, Kamish transferred from Detroit Mercy prior to last season. Midfielder, like. And I mentioned they were able to get some, some, some passes from, from behind the cage and working the ball down to get opportunities up top. Kamish was a sniper in this one. Um, he was getting his hands free and uh, found found back the cage uh, multiple times. Very good game for Kamish. Uh, in, and, you know, I know against that against uh, Georgetown two weeks ago, they said he was the best player on the field. Uh, and... You know, he played very, very well with that number one offense um, in this game, a scrimmage. 
So I definitely expect big things from him. <clears throat> Again, the like Rutgers, they started so once they got the ball moving, once they once they got possession, once they got possession, they were good. And the reason they were slow is because they couldn't defend very good. Obviously, they have some big losses. Max Edelman, Kyle Plus, other guys. Good Michael I on, on on defense as well, Max Edelman Max Edelman and Cage. Um But this offense was very good. Once they got possession, very good. Um <clears throat> Junior Tommy Coyne, Jackman uh, played very well as uh played very well on this one as also. Um I think he from looking at what he did in in this scrimmage, he should probably have a good role um, in the offense this year. Uh, he can play both attack and midfield. I believe I saw them run him at both or, or inverted him sometimes as a midfielder, but played very well. Played very well uh, for himself. In this one, uh, really more of a a a a, a passer, but he had uh, in in this in in these scrimmages, but also was able to find the back of the net multiple times. Um, and as I mentioned, like, they have these losses on defense that I think are going to be pretty, pretty bad. Like, like the, when, when I watched them against UMass, they were able to get quick goals in the opening minutes. I mean, literally, UMass just runs straight in there and scores. Um, Hobart, they got beaten transition a lot. They didn't really... You know, again, early in the game, getting beat the same way they did against UMass. Um, but of the <laughs> defensive woes, Garrett Bullitt Sr. looked very well. Looked very, out of the defense, was was the best of the bunch. Uh, made an impact on the game. Jack Thompson shined as well. Um, <clears throat> Rutgers rotated a lot of guys on the back end. Um, and... Which I think also contributed to some of these defensive lapses because you had guys constantly coming in and out, um, which which never helps. And again, it's a scrimmage; it's October. Uh, but Jack Jack Thompson, Garrett Bullitt definitely looked the best of those two. Um, this team, you know, I talked about how how Hobart was good off the ground and UMass was good off the ground. Um, this team was good off the ground. I think they were good early in transition as well. Um, and then also we talked about the the loss of Max Edelman and goal. Uh well no Cleveland State transfer Stephen uh, Russo and <clears throat> Kevin Carbone a grad transfer from Binghamton uh, played in both the games Russo looked very good um, and he was probably the best of the two Carbone also played very well he started against Hobart Russo started against. Um, UMass. Uh, Russo, I think, was more of a... <clears throat> no. Carbone, I think, sat back a little bit more in, in his cage. Russo really um, got out there. You saw him You saw him. Uh, you know, get out of the cage more, uh, not, not not too many times, but once or twice to get the ball up. Help jump start that clear. <clears throat> so, you know, it wasn't a necessarily horrific game for the goaltending, uh, but Obviously, could have been better, but both guys looking to get that starting position. There's also um, a freshman that played um, near the end. I cannot remember what his name is. Played near the end 
of both games. He looked he looked very good as well. Um, I heard he played a lot of minutes against Georgetown and looked good. So, uh, goaltending battle is on in Piscataway, and we'll see what happens there. Uh, Lusso, obviously, as I said, looked the best of the bunch. Thought he played very well. I uh, wouldn't be surprised if they went with Carbone or um, this freshman, which I really wish I remember his name right now, but I cannot. Um, moving on to UMass. <laughs> this is a team that I think they didn't have, they they lost their motor last year. And <clears throat> what I mean by that was like, you know, UMass has this mentality. They play gorilla ball, right? Gorilla ball. Garbage gorillas. They play that way. And this is this team I talk about being good off the ground. This team was fantastic off the ground. They're getting ground balls all over the place on the, especially on the attack. But in transition, they weren't the same as they were last year. Um, <clears throat> and a loss of LSM slash defenseman Isaac Paulo is, it, I mean that that's a big part of that. Um, in goal. You know, they lost Sean Scannone. Uh Freshman, redshirt freshman Don Elmo got to start against Rutgers. And then freshman Matt, uh, I believe it's Matt Note, got the start um, against Hobart. So you have two guys there. And there's another guy that also got in as well. So a little goaltending battle in, in, in uh, at UMass as well. Um, and Amherst. I'm trying to think where they were located. Um, and Amherst as well. Defense, not very really good. And <clears throat> I, I mentioned the losses of Scannone and Isaac Papalo as huge. And, and they're huge. And I think those two guys were kind of the motor that helped make this team run. They lost that, and you could see that. They were still getting after it and playing good on the, on, on the offensive end. The defense was still playing aggressive, playing with that kind of that the mentality that we expect from a UMass team, <clears throat> but they made plenty of mistakes on on the back end in both scrimmages, um, especially later on when you saw some of the younger guys come in. Um, but I will say this: sophomore Adam Toey and senior LSM Dan O'Brien, two bright spots on this defense, causing havoc, putting the ball on the carpet. O'Brien, I thought, looked the best of those two that I just mentioned. O'Brien, as an LSM, he not as good as Papalo, but he looks like he could step into that role as the number one LSM this season. Um, putting the ball on the carpet, helping to jumpstart that offense in transition. Now again, <clears throat> they lost that motor. They haven't really. They didn't get out in transition as much as the other two teams that I mentioned, Hobart and Rutgers, in this scrimmage, a set of scrimmages. But UMass did play more set offense. They, they they would get the ball up quickly. They would kind of set things up, and they'd go from there. Which you see a lot of a, a lot of teams do that in scrimmages when they're trying to um, you know, get get the system down, try and you know, get you know, work the ball around. We have a shot clock. We know that. Want to go fast, but keep you know, get into a rhythm. And, and they they did that very well. Gabriel uh, uh, Proseek, I know I mispronounced that name, um, looked the most polished of them all. 
um, sophomore attackman. He played fantastic last year. Uh, was poised for another big year. Um, he was really the, the catalyst for this offense, I should say. Senior midfielder Jeff, Jeff Trainer and senior attackman De- Devin Spencer. No relation to Pat Spencer. Just FYI. <laughs> um, also played well, made big impacts. Um, <clears throat> one thing that like, and I noticed here with, with UMass is they showed a depth of midfield, of midfield um, depth. Um, Jack Geiger uh, playing <clears throat> very good. Um, also, sophomore Scott Del Zotto, uh, Zotto Zotto, how you say that? Um, Party for mispronunciations. He played at attack in midfield, showed a lot of promise there. Um, so the UMass offense really getting getting going, and they really initiated a lot from the back of the cage at X on the wings. Were able to get some good outside shots, um, some good inside looks on the doorstep early on, um, especially in both scrimmages. Offense I mentioned played very well off the ground, had a had a lot of intensity on that offensive end in terms of trying to get the ball inside. As I mentioned early on in the scrimmages, uh, later on in the scrimmage they kind of started to settle. And both scrimmages, I should say, started to settle more for outside shots. But overall, um, UMass looked very, very good on the offensive end. The defense still needs... With two big weekends of fall ball action behind us, have a big weekend ahead of us as well. Headlined by the U.S. Lacrosse Fall Classic. We'll feature on the men's side, Virginia, USA, and Canada. And on the women's side, Maryland, USA, and Canada. We'll have games excuse me, on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. All will be streamed free. Via Lax Sports Network. Should be a fantastic weekend of lacrosse. Also, um, on on Sunday you'll see um, the boys team Ontario and girls team Ontario play a a U15 and U17 uh, select teams in the USA as well. So... A big weekend of lacrosse ahead in terms of fall ball. And here's the official schedule. I'll just go Friday and Saturday here. Um, Friday, the 18th, we have the U.S. Senior Women versus Canada at 6 p.m. U.S. Senior Men versus Canada at 8 p.m. On Saturday at 9 a.m., Will be Canada women versus Maryland, and then U.S. Senior women versus Maryland at eleven thirty a.m. At two p.m. U.S. Senior men versus Virginia, and four thirty p.m. U.S. Senior men versus Canada. Some great matchups there. <clears throat> um, last year you saw Yale 
take on USA after that uh, World Championship win last summer. <clears throat> this year, it's Virginia. So they always invite the national champs out to play in the Fall Classic. Uh, kind of a big way to just wrap up fall ball. And there's not not, not, not a lot of scrimmages left. <clears throat> um, but the other ones, you know, this coming weekend are VMI at Washington and Lee Division Three School. And then you have Hampton versus University of D.C. Division Two School, which is uh, also that's a, a matchup between the only two HBCU men's programs uh, in the NCAA. On the 19th, you will see St. Joseph's, Air Force, Towson, and Richmond play at Boys Latin. Also, Robert Morris travels to Ohio State. On the 20th, St. John's, Drexel, and Lafayette play in the Nick Colgate Classic, which will be at Lafayette. On the 20th, you have Notre Dame, Colgate, Princeton at Centerville High School in Virginia. You also have Manhattan, Vermont, and Harvard at South Burlington High School in Vermont. <clears throat> and then looking ahead, not this weekend, but two weekends to cap off fall ball on the 26th. Marquette at High Point and Syracuse playing Lehigh. So fall ball is coming to an end. <clears throat> the end of October is approaching here in about the second week of the second, third week of the month. The NLL season is fast approaching with training camp coming up in the next few weeks. Pro field season has just ended. Canadian universities um, playing in their season with playoffs on the line coming up in early November. Exciting time in lacrosse as always. Again, Thanks for listening. Uh, lacrossebucket.com, where it's always lacrosse season. You can follow us at lacrossebucket on social media. My personal, at Tanner underscore Dimling. Again, thanks for listening. You can find us, lacrossebucket.com, where it's always lacrosse season.